the Generation Church Podcast. We hope you find this encouraging. Come visit us in South Oceanside. Verse 18. And it happened that while Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others that you're one of the prophets of old that has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And he was saying this to them all. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Well, my name. Yep, I'm on. He also set the timer for me, so that's good. As Tim said, my claim to fame here is uh, I'm Rebecca's father, David's father-in-law, grandparents to Chloe and Penn. And uh, so, yeah, and it's been a privilege to sit with Tim and to know his heart. Um, the, the lad is not seminary trained, and yet he is a godly man. And I am amazed at his love that he has for you guys, for this church, and for our community. So we are privileged to have Tim as our pastor and our leader, and we are privileged to have, don't let that go to your head, Tim, as well as the other elders. I mean, I'm, what's it been, maybe two or three times I've been in an elder meeting, and these guys just have a love for you guys. I mean, out of the chute, it's not talking about what, what sort of program or what sort of ministry or what sort of this or that, it's praying for you guys and where and the heart that they have for you, and the growth that they want to see in you. Um, as as the, uh, our mission statement says, we are attempting to take others and meet them to lead them into healthy community relationships with Jesus and one another. And that's their heart. And so to that end, uh, I applaud them. Tim has asked me to uh, share my testimony, so to speak, my journey. And um, I was telling David about this, that I was a little concerned. He was um, 
praying for me a while back, and um, I said there was a passage in Timothy that came to my mind regarding Paul. And this is what I kind of want to get across to you guys in all of this, is um, see if I can find it here real quick. Uh, yeah, so for this reason I found mercy. So that in me as the foremost sinner, is what he was saying, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. God has shown great patience in me and my family through our journey. And um, so that's where I want to head with this. I was born and raised up the road in Glendale, California. I was a product, um, back in the, I guess it was early 50s while I was born, and um, and the 60s there. And it was a great time. Um, there's, uh, there's very few silver-haired people around here, uh, but it was great living. The playgrounds were, houses were being built left and right. And so my playground was, they didn't put fences around those homes and apartment buildings or even commercial buildings that were being built. So it was a great time to go play in those buildings. They were our forts. We'd battle the other kids from the other block or what have you, and this is our fort and all that. And it was a great time. And in the 50s and 60s, there was in Glendale, it was a bedroom community. So it was, it was really kind of a neat, uh, special time. Stores closed on Sundays. That was weird. Um, it was always like, what, what do you do? But we were playing. Um, so that was fun. I was born, as I said, I was born and raised in Glendale. I went to the United Methodist Church there. We had a large youth group. Um, so I was acquainted with scripture, Bible, uh, etc. I went through their catechism class and was given a King James Bible at the end. And uh, so I had all this stuff about the Bible, God, Christ, but there was really never any gospel presentation. Everybody assumed we were Christians, I think, um, and it's just a matter of knowing God a little bit better or attending church and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, as, as youth, um, you grow up in the church, maybe, and you go to school, and in school you're taught one thing, and in church you're taught something else, and so all of a sudden things didn't jive. And uh, as I said, I was uh, born in the 50s, and then in the 60s, I was a product of that. So there was a lot of revolution going on, um, mores, and everything were changing. Uh, challenges were made, not just with Bible and science and all that kind of stuff, but with all the stuff that was going on, civil rights, um, um, rich versus poor, wealthy, poverty, um, in my community where I grew up, if you were a black kid, African-American, if you were a black kid growing up and selling um, cookies or whatever, you had to be out of Glendale by dark. You were not allowed to be there after dark. Um, no one lived there for sure. The Hispanic community lived south of Colorado Boulevard, um, and we had a 
derogatory name for that area. Our church never spoke to those issues. And so you had a group of us coming up that were asking, where is God in the midst of this? And there was nothing going on uh, because they wanted to protect the money that was coming in. So that's the sadness of our, of our church, and not just ours, the Methodist church, but um, many others. I asked questions of our youth pastors and, and our pastors and stuff, and they were, I never got good answers, never got satisfactory answers. And so I went from, um, after, I gra- after I got out of high school, I more or less became agnostic to atheist, to, to agnostic again, to basically believing in God, and more or less the God of the Bible, but it was a God, and, and um, my mom had always put into me the uh, golden rule, so do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That kind of ruined some of my life for a while, because it was always that little haunting thing when I'd want to do something against somebody else. It was like, well, now how would they feel if, you did, if they did that to you? So I had that. I grew up and graduated high school uh, late, but I graduated. And I took off and started just uh, working and surfing for a couple of years. And uh, ran into a couple of Christians that were more or less condemning of my life. And this is the first time I really started hearing about the gospel, that I was going to go to hell. And because I broke one or two of God's rules. And I, and I couldn't figure that out because I said, you know, here, why are you condemning me and telling me I should, um, that God's going to condemn me for breaking one or two of his rules when he is telling me that if someone upsets me, you know, uh, breaks one of my rules or whatever, I am to forgive him, turn the other cheek. Why isn't God going to do that with me? And so we would battle back and forth, and I just never understood that. And I just said, you know, if, if I'm, I felt like I'm, of course, a good person. Not perfect. Nobody is. And I had friends of mine, fathers that raised their children, never went to church, didn't want to, not necessarily hostile to the Bible, just had no, no use for it, and led a good life. And I kept asking people, why is God going to send them to hell? When you have this person over here cheating on their taxes, adultery, whatever it is, and, well, they're saved, but this guy's going to go to hell. I never understood. Fast forward to 1972, I um, decided after working and, and surfing all the time that I wanted to get an education, and so I was going to go back to school, and so I um, moved to Hemet. And I didn't have any friends, and it was the first day of class, and I met a beautiful girl. Beautiful. And little did I know that she was a Christian at the time, and little did I know that she then started having her friends in their little Bible study start praying for me. Um, but she intrigued me. She was not like those Christians that were coming to me and telling me, oh, I'm going to go to hell because I did this, or I'm living this way, or, or what have you. Um, she was not judgmental, and she was not pronouncing any doom to the way I lived. She respected me, and uh, we would have many conversations. Um, 
for those for that year or so before I became a Christian, we had conversations about Christianity, and she would answer my questions. And she would uh, answer them in such a way that they made sense to me, even though I didn't agree with her, but they made sense. And, we, and she would explain why certain things about the Bible and why she lived the way she did. And I remember at one point I was thinking, okay, she's a preacher's kid. And so I wanted to find out, because you always heard about preacher's kids, right? And so I always wanted to find out. So I asked her, I said one time, I said, so are you a preacher's kid? Or are you a preacher's kid? And um, she said, no, I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. And um, yet our friendship still grew. And we conversed, and, and it was... I really enjoyed it, and I guess it was the Holy Spirit moving in my life at that point. And so, at any rate, at one point, I, I wanted to take our relationship to a, a new level, dating, and not marriage, but just dating. And I, so I kind of broached that subject with her, and she said, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. You're not a Christian. You're not a believer we have foundational core issues that, are, that will separate us at some point in time. And I just don't want to have to deal with that and, and so forth. Whoa. So anyway, as we were going on, in uh, June of 73, Jesus Christ confronts me. So I'm going to go and talk to her dad. He was a preacher, good conservative Baptist preacher, and uh, so I was going to go and confront him about Christianity, why God would want to send a nice guy like me to hell when I'm just no better, no, no better, no worse than anyone else, way better than a lot of folks. Um, so, and I recall going and, and I had all my arguments ready, I was going to take him out, and uh, we sat down in the living room, and he said to me, Bill, you have a problem with Jesus. And uh, I, I was like, Holy Spirit took like a baseball bat and went, and bam, right against my forehead. It was like, I have a problem with Jesus. And I had never heard that statement before. And the Holy Spirit took it and worked it in me. It's kind of like what we read at the beginning, who do people say I am? And who do you say I am? And so I had a fight there at that, at, at that point. I, I don't remember the rest of the conversation with my father-in-law. But he said, you have a problem with Jesus. And I talked to Bond for a little bit, and I said, I'm going to have to take a drive and figure this out. So a couple hours later, a couple packs of cigarettes later, I had a fight with God. I said... This is pretty gutsy, I guess. Uh, I challenged God that, hey, Lord, I'm a pretty good person. Look, I've got my life ahead of me. I think I want to go to college, get a degree, get a career, raise a family, raise kids who are going to contribute to this society, which they have. And so what's the problem? 
And um, I remember God's rebuttal saying, here's the thing. Are you willing to trust me with your life? That's all I ask. You may, your plan is a good plan. It may work. It may be good. But are you willing to take that plan and give it to me and trust me? And I battled with that. Because then that meant I'm not going to be Lord of my life. I'm not going to be the one that's going to control my destiny. Like, that's really going to happen. But I'm not one who's going to do that. God is the one who's going to do that. And I was afraid. I was afraid I was going to be one of these guys that's going to be walking around with the Bible all the time and reading it all the time. And so um, they know. So I was afraid of that. And God just kept saying, trust me. Will you give me your life? It's kind of like what we read there. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Well, after the battle with God, I, I finally said, okay. I went back to the house. I told Bonnie what I was, that I was ready to submit my life to the Lord. She explained a little bit fuller, further what that would entail. And we went and prayed, and I accepted the Lord. I became a God's child. They stuck a Bible in my hand, said, you know, you need to start reading it. And it was, it was a glorious time. The first few days of those Bible readings, it was like Jesus said, come here, son, sit down here. Put his arm around me and started explaining all those dots that I learned in, in, in um, church when I was a kid. They all started making sense. So fast forward, <clears throat> before we fast forward, it was like, yeah, I, I was just reading the Bible. I couldn't get enough of it. Prayer, we we tend to church. We had a, a college Bible group. Uh, it was a great time. And then fast forward in July of 73, I was baptized. And then in June of 74, we got married and um, followed the dream of, of going to school. And um, so we went off to, I went off to Bible college. I went in as a psychology major and it was because it was Bible college, you had um, to take an Old Testament, New Testament survey and a theology class. Actually, four semesters of theology. And I just, oh, this was, this was awesome. I mean, I was like in spiritual Disneyland. This was like I was just absorbing everything, taking it all in. I'd come home. And this is probably the beginning of it. But uh, I would come home. I was just excited about all this stuff. Bonnie, meanwhile, was a stay-at-home mom with our first child. And I'd come home, and I'd share with her everything I was learning. And, um, and she would just wanted to have a conversation with her husband. And, and so I, we didn't. But anyway, so at that time, during that time, there was all sorts of worship wars going on. What we do up here was just beginning this style of worship, and it was being condemned. And I was one who would kind of like, yeah, no, you need to sing the hymns. You need to have an orchestra, a choir, uh, especially the hymns, even though people were singing the psalms. It's like, oh, you can't do that, and you can't do that with a guitar, and you can't do that with drums. 
Anyway, became very religious, Pharisaic, kind of like what we read in, in, in Gospel of Luke. And somehow, through all that time, studying and everything, um, I moved away from him. Uh, the forgiveness became a doctrine. And it penetrated my mind, but it didn't penetrate my heart. And it kind of made me a bigot and judgmental towards those who didn't see the same way I saw or those who were enemies of the cross. But life goes on, and, and, uh, and so we were, <clears throat> second child comes along. And we decided, or I decided, that um, I needed to go to work. And, um, and so I joined FedEx at the time and supported the family and decided for a number, um, went to work at FedEx. FedEx was a growing company at the time. It was great. It was fun. It had its own culture, which I got hung up in and sucked into. And I got sucked into the American way of life, just living life no longer for him, but for us. And I was pursuing life apart from God. It was self-centered and self-focused. But if you were to observe the Weiss family, we, we looked pretty good on Sunday. We arrived with Bible in hand. And we may have even gone to a couple of Sunday school classes. But we just, our hearts were not there. Um, I was a leader in the home, but I led them in the wrong direction. My girls, fortunately, had mentors from their church and good, godly kids, their peers. Uh, otherwise, I, I would hate to think what would have. Did I just? No, oh, okay. The, um, I remember just as a side note, and Beck, I'm sorry, I'm going to relate this. I remember at one point we had moved to Escondido and a brand new home and all this and we vacationed in, in Newport Beach and we'd go on the weekends to the beach and all this kind of stuff. A number of years later, she's an adult, a number of years later she asked me, she goes, Dad, did you ever know that I was lonely in the house? Did you ever know that I was alone? No. We lived our lives, Bonnie and I lived our lives in such a way that we gave them their space, thinking we were loving them. But we gave them so much space, we weren't even around for them. And um, so, yeah, so that, that was a, a challenge. But then, <clears throat> going through life that way, they were ignored, and, and like I said, and, and we were just absorbed in FedEx culture, and the world. But then the hound of heaven came. And came knocking. And Bon? You get to use the mic. <laughs> That's good. Am I on? Yep. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I vividly recall the phone call that I got. Um, 
The days and weeks leading up to that phone call had been filled with multiple doctor appointments and medical testing and procedures, and all of them came up with the same result, confusion. They all saw something, but they couldn't definitively determine what they were looking at. So with the third opinion and the same results, um, Bill and I decided together that we wanted to have this questionable mass removed. And the doctor told me I was making a mistake. It was an unnecessary risk for an unnecessary procedure. But because we were adamant, he reluctantly agreed and uh, went ahead with the procedure. Back to the phone call. It was Saturday, the day following my surgery, and the doctor told me that he needed Bill and I to come into the office that day as soon as possible. The results were in, and it was cancer. I was just a 30-something, like, what is happening? So I remember sitting on the exam table in that little room, feeling like I was sitting on a, the edge of a precipice. I saw the doctor's mouth moving, but I didn't hear a word he was saying. My heart was pounding, and all I could hear was blood rushing through my ears. I see nods. <laughs> and I, I just hoped that as I faded in and out of that conversation that Bill was being able to listen carefully and hear everything that the doctor was telling us. So before we left the office that day, we were given our next steps in my treatment plan. And we got in the car and drove away. And I remember saying out loud in the car, Okay, Lord, you've got my attention. And thus, my journey back began. Um, a little spoiler alert here, sorry, Tim, but yesterday I was reading from Luke 15. We're not there yet in our series, but that chapter has three parables, all of which speak of something that was lost, being found, and then the celebration that followed. Well, God welcomed me back with open arms, and um, there was a celebration. Our God is extravagant in his love and his mercy and his grace and his patience. Um, he restored the joy of my salvation. He renewed my passion for his word. He made his presence tangible in ways that I had never experienced before. I, <clears throat> while my heart and my soul were being restored and renewed and healed. My body was suffering. I was not handling the chemo well. I would lie in bed and quietly sob. I can't do this. This is too hard. I can't. Um, at my lowest point, I remember crying out, Lord, I'm done. Just let me go. Um, the problem was I couldn't do it alone and I should not 
have been doing it alone. My arms were out. I'm good. I don't need your help. I'm fine. Yeah, thanks for the offer, but I'll be okay. I was, my pride wouldn't allow me to allow anyone to join me in my journey, not even my own family. I, um, I realized that God never, never intended us to journey alone. He gave us, he gave us a community, his church, his family, a fellowship of believers that are intended to come alongside of us, encourage, support, bear our burdens, minister, use their gifts and service and encouragement and comfort. I, uh, I feel sorrow as I think of uh, Rebecca, who has mentioned a few times over the years. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh my goodness, it's me again, the troublemaker. Um, but she, she said how sad she was that I robbed our family of a beautiful opportunity to journey together, to learn and grow through suffering, and to be able to witness firsthand what God was doing. Did I mention how extravagant God is in his love and his mercy and his grace and his patience? He will give us every opportunity needed to mature us and grow us into Christ-likeness. So now fast forward seven years and phone call number two. I knew how I was going to respond this time, but I'll let Bill share how God used round number two in his life. <clears throat> well, after she, second time, I repented, and my heart was it was a true repentance and all, but I went back to, um, it didn't penetrate the heart deeply. We got involved, or I got involved in men's groups, discipleship groups, um, worldview stuff, apologetics, all that kind of stuff. But my heart was really to defend God, Christ, Christianity, but not, not it was not for him. And unfortunately, for most of my 50 years as a Christian, my heart was not, yeah, you know, it was, yes, I love God. Yes, I want to defend him. Yes, all of that. But the relationship just wasn't there. But the hound of heaven hounded me again. You know, I, we continued life, and and but now it changed. It was a little bit more... Like I said, uh, there was uh, devotions, Bible studies, all that kind of stuff, discipleship. But then I, um, but then the hound of heaven got me with the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified. And we sing that one part there. Where'd it go here? Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look 
to look on him and pardon me. It's the gospel that God has gotten into me through mentors, authors, the Bible, scripture reading. Philippians. Um, in Philippians 2, Five through eight used to be a passage I would read for um, deity of Christ, uh, arguing for the deity of Christ or something. And one day, reading the scriptures, and I don't know whether it was somebody that had said something to me, but it changed. It says, have this attitude in yourselves. And Paul is exhorting the church at Philippi. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any love, if there's any affections or compassion or any of joy, he says, um, be of the same mind. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And don't look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So he's talking to us as a church. And he says, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's what he did for me. And that just hit me between the eyes like, like my father-in-law who said, you got a problem with Jesus. God used that and other verses and passages of scripture and people that came into my life. And it wasn't until I viewed that the, that the as someone said, it wasn't until I viewed the cross as that, that which was done by me, that I never appreciated what God did in Jesus for me. I never understood how great of a sinner I was. It wasn't just because I did bad things, bad habits, bad bad behaviors, but I rejected him. I didn't put trust in him. I didn't trust his promises. I didn't trust that he was going to get us through something. I had to work at that. I had to control the situation. I had to perform. And in my performance then, that would declare my obedience, that would declare who I am as a Christian. But it wasn't my love for him. It wasn't until I discovered his love for me, the one who went on the cross while I was his enemy, An enemy. And if you think about that, I was, for a long time, I was thinking about my enemies. People who didn't behave according to the Bible. People who were of different religious persuasion. They were my enemies. And I fought them. I didn't realize that I was like them, an enemy of God, who God died for me. 
and I wanted nothing to, at that time when I wanted nothing to do with him, doing my own thing, understanding now that I was his enemy and he died for me and did that. It's no longer I can no longer look at other people as enemies. They are sheep without a shepherd. They are misguided. And how dare do I expect them to behave in a Christian way, according to the Bible, when they don't even know God and they don't want to know God? So my journey has been that I've gone from being a Christian, religious pharisaic, so to speak, knowing the Bible, theology, apologetics, all that kind of stuff, but a heart that was away from God. And it wasn't until I started understanding, it was like the late, the girl at Jesus' feet that was with her tears, wiping his feet. I mean, you didn't do that because people walked around barefoot and dirty and, and all that. And it was because she was forgiven much that she loved. And that's what God is doing in my heart at this point in time. So I've become, we, the work that God is doing in my heart is he's, he's softening it. I still study. Doctrine leads me now to doxology or worship, which leads me to a devotion to him which leads me then into lovingly obedient obedience to him. I, I still battle my time. My time versus his time. Opportunities versus interruptions. Ownership versus stewardship. Learning to live as a missionary here instead of as an American citizen. So as we're coming into Easter... someone has said Bethlehem is holy God coming into an unholy environment hostile to him to rescue and reconcile me at great cost to him which is Easter forgiveness was costly to God and it was costly to Jesus so here's where I want to leave us Back to the statement of, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And that's the challenge to you and I as a Christian. Because it is so easy for us to be religious, attend church, Bible studies, small groups, life groups, you know, whatever the latest flavor is. And having done that, then go, I'm good to go. And we're trusting in ourselves again and not in him. The God who went to the cross, who emptied himself, who, who had all rights, privileges, kingship, became a human being, became a criminal on a cross, crucified for you and I. That's the... Uh, that is what I have to learn to do every day, is deny myself those deep sins that are in me to power, to control, for perfectionism, for self-justification, whatever it might be. To, not, to deny those things and take up my cross, 
that instrument that says, I will kill those idols, and I will submit to you, Lord, and I'll follow. And we have to do that daily. Because like Paul said in Galatians 5, the flesh and the spirit are battling. And I sense that. So here's where I want to leave us. If you're a Christian, do you believe and trust him and not necessarily trusting your religion, your Bible, but you're trusting him? Has the cross made an effect in your life? Are you dying to your old ways? Or you just have Jesus added to your life? And for those who are here maybe in hearing this for the first, you know, hearing about Christianity or something, are you like me where I was on that night when God confronted me? You got a great plan. You got a good life. You're doing well. You're doing all that you, you, you've got planned, but are you really in control? COVID-19. Cancers. Anything that can disrupt life. And so will you be willing to give and turn your life over to him and allow him to run your life? Because it's, it really is. I don't know how uh, people say, yeah. Anyway, I don't know how it is. But for me, for my wife and I, in this journey, we're not perfect by any means. God's softening my heart. I've got a greater appreciation for what he has done for me. And so I'm going to continue to follow him and trust him in all aspects of my life. Will you join me in prayer? Father, you took a rebellious young man and a rebellious older man, and you've reconciled me to you. And Father, I am just so grateful for what you are doing in my life and what you're doing in the life of Generation Church, bringing people to know you into a healthy relationship with you. And Lord, I just thank you and bow before you. There's nothing I can give you back. There's nothing I can do to make you love me more. You know my heart. And yet you still love me. And you haven't forsaken me. When I would sit there and reject someone after how many times should I forgive, and yet you continue to do that. And not just forgive, but then you welcome me into your arms and you love me. You love my family. So Father, I just thank you. And it's not about me, it's all to the praise of your glory. And to that end, Lord, we just offer you ourselves and lift you up and honor you 
and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.